Awesome. Hey, so today is, is, our, is our second to last sermon in our series, The Call. Who's been enjoying The Call? Yeah. Give me a yeah. Yeah, nice. The one, the best thing about a movie theater is it's designed specifically so you can't hear the person next to you, which is great when the person next to you falls asleep in the movie and starts snoring. It's less great when you're trying to give a sermon and, and your yeah falls out of your mouth onto the floor. So just turn up. I'll turn up my volume by about 10 and you can turn yours up by about five and we'll meet each other in the middle. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. Woo. I bought my preaching hanky. Just in case you're, uh, don't worry. Very cool. Hey, so uh, this morning, uh, it's, my, it's my privilege to look at uh, the call that we have to community. Right, I don't know if you realize, but, but as a church, as a people, as a people group of Christians, we're called to do life together. Right, and it doesn't really matter how introverted you are. And trust me, I can feel some of you already. You're shrinking back in your seat and you're thinking, I don't need anyone. I don't want anyone. People are messy. Right, which is fair enough, I understand that, but, but we do need people in our lives. Maybe for some of you, it, it's, it's in small doses, at an arm's length, but we still need some sort of relationship. We still need some sort of people to belong to, to do life together, to, to be part of. Right, and, and I, what I really want to look at today is, I, I don't think you need convincing that we need to be a part of community. Right, you're here. You chose to get up on a Sunday morning and come to a place to be together, right? You're the ones who understand it. There's hundreds and hundreds of people out there who don't get it yet, but I think you get it. So I'm going to operate from the premise that you understand that community is important, that you understand that we're called as a church, as a people, as Christians to be a part of something together, to be together together. So I want to ask the question, how do we do it, right? If we're called to be a part of community, if we're called to be a people together, how do we make it work? Right, because have you, have you ever found that, that people can be a bit difficult sometimes? Obviously not you, you know, because you know, I'm perfect, you're perfect, but everyone else, right? There's sometimes people do things that get on your nerves or misinterpret things that you do. You know, I didn't mean that. Calm down. Has anyone ever found that before? Is it just Jono socially awkward putting his foot in it all the time? Could be. Hey, who, who knows, right? It's, it's a safe place to share. Who here, though, um, let's, let's, let's go to the Bible, yeah? I reckon I'm going to do that. You got, anyone got a Bible here today? Yeah, that's good. We've got it on the screen as well. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to jump in from verse 1. There we go. It goes, right? And it goes like this. We're going to read verse 1 to 7. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And this is the bit I want to focus on. It says this, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you that we get to come here today to lift up your name. God, I thank you that we get to come here today to celebrate who you are, but we also get to come here today to listen to what it is you want to say to us, God. God, I thank you that you're always speaking. God, that you've always got a word for us, that you've always got an encouragement, God, that you always want to point us to where we should be going to, to push us higher. And I pray that this morning we would hear what it is you have to say. 
God, that it wouldn't be my words, it wouldn't be our lights or our, our music, it wouldn't be our great venue, it wouldn't be any of those things, but that something bigger, something more important would transcend those, God, that your voice would be heard. God, we choose right now to take this moment, regardless of what's happened in our week, where we feel, how we feel, God, to lean in and to listen. God, what is it you're saying? God, thank you that you love us and that you speak through love. Amen. This is an interesting verse, right? It's a beautiful portion of Scripture. In fact, it's, it's one of the most famous Scriptures in the world, right? This might be your first time in church. Today might have been, you thought this was a movie. You're like, this is a really lifelike movie. Look, it's 3D. It's amazing. And I don't understand the storyline yet. It's, but it's, you know, who knows? I paid $10 to get in, so I'll watch it. Right, but, but you've still heard this. Even if you walked in thinking this was a movie, you've still heard the scripture at one point or another. Maybe you didn't realize it was the Bible, but this is famous. We know the scripture. This is the scripture that's on Ned Flanders' wall, right? Like it, it's on his wall. I know it. This is a Christian scripture. You, you might be asking, does that mean you can have non-Christian scriptures? I don't know. Stop asking so many questions, right? But this is a Christian scripture, if ever there was one. We, we know this, and, and we love to read it out. We, we, we love to, to read it out at weddings especially, which I'm not mocking because we had it read at our wedding, right? It's an important scripture. But, but what happens with the scripture is we actually misinterpret it. See, the scripture, it, it, it's a beautiful description of love, yes, but, but something else is going on here, something more. See, this, this scripture has more to it than we think. How many of you this morning used a mirror by show of hands? Yeah, most of us, most of us. Don't be ashamed, you know, it's, it's probably a good thing. Who here likes mirrors? Yeah? Less of us. I'm not going to put up my hand. Well, Kasha's like, heck yeah, dude. How do you think I look this good? This don't happen by mistake. Right? I, I like mirrors. I'm going to be honest. In fact, I like most reflective services. I'll be walking down the street and, you know, just, just strolling. And I'll be walking along and there'll be a parked car with, you know, tinted windows. And I'll just stop. Good and good. You know, just, just checking. You, you guys think this happens by mistake? It doesn't. Well, it takes work. I, I, I like mirrors. You could call me vain if you want. I don't mind. I'll call you judgmental. We can have an argument. It's fine. Whatever. Meh. You know, we can go back and forth. I probably know more scripture than you do, so meh. Right, but, but I like mirrors. I, I like mirrors. In fact, mirrors are, are helpful because I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I don't have all of my faculties together, let's say. And if it weren't for mirrors, I'd be up here with like my shirt on backwards. And more importantly, my fly would be undone. I guarantee you. I look in the mirror before I leave the house every morning. Luckily, there was a mirror where I got changed here today, or else this would be a mess, right? Because I'll walk past the mirror every day, and something will be wrong. I'll walk past, and I'll be like, oh, look, I've still got toothpaste on. Or, oh, look, I'm still wearing my slippers. Or, oh, look, I actually haven't got changed out of my pajamas at all. This is probably not what I should wear to work. Right, but mirrors are helpful, because you can see in them what's, what's going on, and, and they can stop you from having one of those moments, Right? Who here has had one of those moments before? You finished giving a presentation at university, got down, sat in your seat, looked down, and your fly is open. Right? Or, or, or you finished talking to that girl that you really liked, you went to the bathroom, you looked in the mirror, and you had a big old bogey. Right? Those moments, they suck. And we've all had them at some stage in our life. And see, what First Corinthians here, what, what, what's happening is, is the author of this, this piece of scripture is a guy named Paul. Right, and I think Paul, in, in writing this, this letter to the church in Corinth, because that's what this is, he's intending that it's a mirror. He's intending that this passage can be something that the Corinthians can look at and say, is this us? 
Are we doing this? See, because as I alluded to earlier, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't what we think it is. There's something more going on here. This passage is actually a bit of a rebuke. See, because Corinth was a trendy city. It was a little bit like Wellington. It was where all the cool people lived. Can I get amen? Yeah, come on. Be confident. You're cool. You're cool. Turn to your neighbor say, yeah, you're cool. Just if, if you're feeling extra cool, you can just give them like a, a Fonz back. Just be like, hey. You know it makes you feel cool. Right? But Corinth is, is a vogue city. It's cool. And, and it's a city that's only just recently heard about Jesus. Right? That the story of Jesus has only just reached the, the city of Corinth. And, and so what's happening here is, is there's a church in Corinth. And, and, and they start off doing pretty well. But, but soon enough, there starts to be dissent amongst the church. They start to argue amongst each other. They start to, to get rude to each other. They start, to, to start, they start suing each other, which I don't know if you've ever had a problem with someone in church, but I ain't never sued someone, right? That's, that's another step to take. It's like, not only do I not like how you sing in the bridge of that song, I'm suing you, right? See, see there's, a bit of, there's a bit of animosity. This isn't a great place to be at the moment. The, the, the tensions are high. And so what happens is the, the church of Corinth, one of the people in the church of Corinth, they write a letter to Paul saying, hey, things are messed up. This is what's going on. Can you help us? Can you give us some advice? Because it's not really working out. And so this letter of, of 1 Corinthians, it's not exactly an encouraging one that Paul writes. Right? It doesn't end in, in X's and O's. It's not like, hey, guys, how you doing? You're looking good. I love you. Paul. It's like, hey guys, you're not looking good. What's going on? What's going on? I heard you're not living well. I heard you're not loving well. I heard that you're not being in community well. See, and what I want to do this morning is, is to look at this letter to the Corinthians and see what is it that Paul is saying to them that maybe we can learn from about how to be in community well. And, and so this, this letter, right, 1 Corinthians responds and, and he's responding, how do we how do we live in community well? And what Paul does is he addresses the single most important factor of Christian community, right? The most distinguishing factor of the church, and it's not the music, it's, it's not the lights, it's not the programs, it's not even the good-looking nature of the people that go to it. Hard to believe, right? But it's its, it's, it's love. See, Paul was addressing them to say that they weren't loving well. They were far from what God wanted to see from them. So today, if we're in our series of The Call, and if we're looking at our call to community, what can we learn from one of the most prolific church planters, right? From one of the greatest thinkers who wrote half of the New Testament, what can we learn from Paul about what it looks like to be in community well? See, and how love is the most essential factor. So in, in chapter 13 and in, in verses 4, 5, and 6 of, of 1 Corinthians, Paul is giving them a, a list of what love looks like. And, and it reads beautifully and, and poetic, and, and that's just because maybe we crocheted it one too many times, because actually it's a rebuke. It, it's like a mirror to show the Corinthians how they really are, how they're really living, what they really look like. So can we chuck uh, verse 4 to 7 up again on the screen? It goes like this, right? Love is patient and kind. Paul is pointing them in, in this mirror and saying, are you patient? Are, are, are you kind? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. And remember, Paul has received reports about this church. 
right? He knows that, that they were doing the opposite of this. So, so what's he doing? He's saying to these Christians in Corinth, come on, guys, you're not patient. You're not kind. In fact, you're rude and you're arrogant. You're irritable and you're resentful. And at some stage in the reading of this letter, the people who are hearing it have to stop and say, wait a minute. That sounds like my neighbor. My neighbor's rude. And then their neighbor's like, wait a minute. That sounds like my neighbor. And then they go to each other and they're like, hey, I figured out the problem. It's you. Oh, it's and at some stage, they realize, man, we're not doing this right collectively. We're falling short somewhere along the way as a people. See, so what's happening is, is they're reading it, and they realize it's all of us. Maybe it was one of those moments, right, where you stand in front of the mirror, and you go, oh, man, this whole time, my fly's been down. This whole time, I had spinach in my teeth. This whole time, my shirt's been on backwards. Man, this whole time I wore slippers all day to work, right? It's this moment and they realize, man, we're not doing what we should be. We're not where we should be. See, this letter is in the Bible because although the Corinthians have have long passed, although the people that it was written to are no longer walking this earth, this letter is for us. See, this letter isn't just for the Corinthian Christians. It's for the Wellingtonian Christians, This letter isn't just for the church in Corinth. This letter is for Equippers Church Wellington. To say to us, to say to me, and to say to you, how can we love well? How can we be a community that God is proud of, that God looks at and says, that's what I mean when I say to be the church. See, this letter, see, I don't know about you, though, but but when I read it, right, when I read that, that love is patient and kind, that love does not envy or boast, that it isn't arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, doesn't rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I don't know about you, but, but I get a little bit tired. Like, Paul, what are you saying? Are you saying that, that, that I, this is a list, Right, And when I read that list, to me it kind of comes across as I need to be patient and kind and not envy or boast, to stop being arrogant or rude, not insist on my own way, quit being cranky, quit being grumpy, that I just need to bear everything all the time, right? just to believe everything all the time, hope in everything all the time, and endure all things, everything all the time. Right? And I don't know about you, that, that that's just everything all the time, always. Let's be honest but exhausted just at the idea of this list, right? Because if I'm being honest, I can't even remember it. I can't even get all of it in my head. This was the one, the Bible verse at, at, at school church, what's it called? Sunday school, school church, rebranding. Like this was the one that I failed. I got the lollipop every week until it was like, love is patient, love is kind, love is patient, and kind, and all things, all, all things, all things, amen. It's a long list, right? And, and so I read it, and, and some of you are here, and you're sitting there, and you're like, Jono, how can you call yourself a Christian? Who made you a pastor? Because I can do this. I can do everything. I'm amazing. I get up in the morning, and I drink raw eggs. Mm. Right, and I appreciate that about you. You know, you, you balance out my uh, mediocrity, but that's all right. But if we're honest, we can't actually do this, right? If, if we're honest and we read this list, it, often at church we psych ourselves up, right? We, we say to ourselves, this week, this week I'm going to be so holy. 
This week, I'm going to be so amazing. The angels will weep at me. They will see me and they will say, God, why did you not make me like him? He's so holy. He, what, uh, he's, he's amazing. God, are you sure this isn't the second coming? Because he's incredible. Right? Some of us think that, that, that if we're just patient and, 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 and I'm just going to be kind and I'm going to be envious or boast and we're going to hope and we're going to endure and we're going to believe. And all the time, all the time, all right. And, and I'm just thinking, no, we're not. Because I'm friends with you all on Facebook. I've seen what you're writing, right? I've seen the photos you put up. I saw you when you were trying to get a park, and that got to the park, and you showed him a bird, and you don't have no canaries in your car. Right? See, see, we're people. And, and part of understanding this list is that we are people. See, because what's amazing is that we take portions of Scripture like this, and we think that it's the goal, which it is. But we think that it's a goal that, that we interpret that we need to try harder. This is the goal, so I've got to do more, right? Come on, you know, just try harder. Pull up your bootstraps, put on your big boy pants, get dressed in the morning and change the world by yourself. Right? But, but the problem with this is, is, is if we're not keep, careful, this is what the church becomes. Right? A, a group of people with an unattainable list, all gathering together, pretending we have it together. Or we attend church and we know we need to be more patient and more kind and believing and enduring, but we just make excuses. Right? Like, I know I need to be more kind, but everyone in the world is an idiot. And I know I need to hope, but life is hard. And I know I need to be patient, but I feel like Jono's going over time. Right? And we excuse away, God, this list is for, for other people. See, because we're so far from this, this list. So, so what's Paul saying, right? Is this the call? To be a community of depressive and repressive individuals. Right, to pretending to be perfect or weeping over our inadequacy. Yeah, no, nah, I can do it all. I'm fine. I'm holy. I'm great. Or over here, God, I'm never going to be anything. I'm never going to amount to anything. Why do I even try? Just let me cry in this corner. Because if we look at this list and it's about us making it work, th- those are the two options. See, the, 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 the term Paul is using for love in this section is the Greek word agape. Right? It's a type of love that needs no reciprocation. It's, it's supernatural and it's divine. Right? Phileo is, is, is another Greek word for a different type of love, and that's the type of love that we're used to. That's, that's a, a relational love. It's the type of love that you and I know, and, and it's conditional love. Right? It's the reason why we get into relationships. I'm in a relationship with you because I love you and you love me, and we're a happy family. Right? And, and it's all right, and we'll keep on going. And it might be the reason you're attending church today. Someone you phileo said, come to church with me. And you said, all right, only because I love you. Right? It's, it's the love that all pop songs are written about. And the truth is that the Corinthians aren't even doing this type of love well. They're not able to phileo well. There's no conditional love. They're just straight up not loving. Right? And, and so here they are. Phileo is holding open doors and speaking nicely and treating others well. And the Corinthians are a hop, skip, and a jump away from that. Right? They're lacking even the basic social decency. They can't do phileo conditional love, let alone think about agape, unconditional love. Right? Agape means love, the type of love that God has for us. So when Paul is saying just love each other, he's saying love each other like God loves you. Love with that unconditional, unrelenting, never-ending love. Just love all the time, always, forever. See, and so, so what's the... What's the point here? Because what Paul is asking us to do is, is, is unreasonable. It's unattainable. It would be like walking up to me and saying, Jono, tomorrow I want you to break the world freediving record. 
To which I would say to you, look, I can't really swim lower than 10 meters without my ears hurting, and I can only hold my breath for about two minutes, and chlorine makes my eyes hurt. And also, the water's quite cold in Wellington. It's just not going to happen. Right, that this list is, is unattainable. So, so what point is Paul trying to make? If he's offering this, this unattainable list, how does this affect our, our call to be in community? See, in, in typical Pauline fashion, he's asked the question, but somewhere else in the Bible, I think he also answers it. See, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, Paul says this to the church in Rome, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. See, what he's saying is what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do is something that I seem to always be doing. See, if we're honest about human nature, this is our state, right? This is us. What we say we're going to do often doesn't end up happening. What we say we're not going to do, we somehow end up doing it. Easter was just last weekend, right? And um, I got a lot of chocolate. It was also my birthday, and so people gave me Easter chocolate, birthday chocolate. It was just lots and lots of chocolate, which I much appreciated, you know? But um, for me, if I eat chocolate, it just kind of, my stomach doesn't really like it, right? My taste buds love it, mm-hmm, chocolate. But uh, unless it's like quite kind of dark, cocoa chocolate, my, my stomach's like, <laughs> afterwards. Right, which, which would mean you'd think that if I was given all of this chocolate, my natural response would be, thank you so much, I would just snack on this for the rest of the year, right? Like just a little bit, every once in a while, just to reward myself. Did I do this over Easter? No. I bathed in chocolate, right? I was constantly consuming it. I slathered it on my skin. I filled my bathtub with it. I jumped in. I splashed about. I was like, it's chocolate. I'm Willy Wonka. And then I felt horrible. Right? If I did what I knew that I should do, that whole weekend I would have been sneaking on carrot sticks. Bugs Bunny. But I wasn't. I was eating chocolate. Because this is us. What we want to do, we so often end up not doing. What we don't want to do is so often what we end up doing. So reading 1 Corinthians 13, I wonder what is the actual proposal here? What is Paul asking us to do? Is he actually saying that we should live out agape love, even when the good that I want to do, I don't do, even though it's unreasonable and frankly impossible to love unconditionally, agape, the love of God, to love as God loves. Is Paul really asking us to do this? The answer is yes. See, because what's happening here is this isn't a trick request. He's serious. He's earnestly asking the Corinthians and us Wellingtonians to live out lives of unconditional love. So if the answer is yes, if he's truly asking us to do this, the next question has to be how. If he's asking us to do this impossible thing, if we can't even do conditional love well, How on earth will we ever love unconditionally? Furthermore, if we look again at verses 4 to 7, Paul uses the word all far too many times. Right? Believes all things, endures all things, bears all things, hopes all things. How much should I bear? Everything. How much should I believe? All of it. How much should I hope for? Everything. How much should I endure? All the time. I don't know about you, but I'm not that good. I'm not hoping all the time. I'm not believing all the time. I'm not enduring all the time. No matter how much I want to be, there's going to be a moment when what I want to do doesn't happen and what I don't want to do does. See, Paul isn't suggesting a small change in these people. He's proposing, he isn't proposing that we just try harder because that's the way that we'd think, right? And then we're just another club, the blind leading the blind. Just, just try harder. Pull up your bootstraps. See, we, we don't need Jesus for that. See, that's called goal setting. 
that that's called motivation. That's called passion. I think Paul's goal is that you read a passage like this, and the first thought that comes to mind is, God, help me. I can't do this. What is being proposed is ridiculous. I'm already struggling with being a nice driver and being as kind to Emma as she deserves and not judging people who post ridiculous things on Facebook. Right, that's enough for my week. I got my plate full. And here Paul is coming along being like, hey, you just want a little bit more. Right, it's too much. Am I just meant to start like, bam? Am I just meant to start loving unconditionally? See, what I think Paul is doing is something similar to what Jesus did all throughout the gospel. To bring man to the end of himself. To leave us saying, God, are you serious? How I, I can't do this. Because wouldn't it be just like God to tell you to do something that you can't do without him? But, but instead, we're down here fretting, right? Like, man, I've got a agape this week. I can't even remember to water the plants. Done. Church community not going to happen. My cacti died. That's the plant that needs the least amount of water. It's not a joke. It's a true story. I don't know what I did. I think I put it in the sun, but I thought it was a desert plant. I'm a biology major. See, no wonder everyone in the dark ages started whipping themselves, right? They read the Bible and then they tried to do what it said. And then they felt bad about the fact that they couldn't come close. And they were like, well, I guess I'll just play penance by whipping myself. Don't do that. Please. Right, but see, here we are. This is impossible to do unless we're transformed. See, the premise of this passage is that you're actually experiencing the life-changing transformation of God's love. Of, of God's agape for us, not just in a moment on a Sunday, not just in an altar call, but in every breath that you draw into your body, that we are being continuously transformed. Romans 12, 2, see that, that God would have our lives defined by something that not we could do on our own, but something that we could only do with Him. See, anything worth doing, we can only do in partnership with God because we were only ever intended to work with Him as a pair. See, God hasn't given us things that we can do. It's why John writes about love in this way in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And this is my last scripture as the band get up. Listen to these words. And I'm going to replace the word love with the word agape because I think it paints an amazing picture of our call to community. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, it says this. Beloved, let us agape one another. Let us love one another unconditionally, relentlessly, with no reservation, for agape is from God. And whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. See, that's our key. That is how the church changes the world. That is how the church becomes a community. Anyone who does not agape does not know God because God is agape. In this agape of God made manifest amongst us that God sent His only Son into the world so that me, we might live through Him. And this is the agape. They're not that we have agaped God, but that He agaped us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And here it is. Beloved, if God so agaped us, we also ought to agape one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we agape one another, God abides in us and His agape is perfected in us. See, what I think John is saying here is that we need to love one another. 
but not just so that we can get along. Not just so that we can keep on going. Because my favorite section of this is verse 12, where I love what John says, no one has seen God. Right, but he's playing with us. Because he goes on to imply that they can. No one has seen God, but they can. Because we are here. And we are intended to be dispensers because we were first recipients. That we can know the agape of God. That people will see God not by our information, not by our music, not by our lights, not by our discipline, not by our our lifestyle, our moralism. That they would see God not in any of those things that we do, although they are amazing, but that they would see God in our agape, in our love. That they will see God when we trust in the only source of love. And the only source of, of agape and through this relationship with God from our soul, our soul will start to seek this, this supernatural love. And people will step back and they'll say, well, what is that? Well, why did you do that? And we'll say, God has poured his love into me so much that it's, it's kind of getting all over the place. I, I think I'm leaking. That God's love is is so poured into me. His agape is is so poured into me that I can't help but start to love on you. And it's weird. You're mad at me and I love you. You're doing something wrong and I love you. You're testing my patience and I love you. You're, You're making me look bad and I love you. You're hating me and I love you. Not because I'm a saint, but because I am so aware, so full of God's love that I can't help but see you through Him. To see you through His love for me. And those things that once seemed insurmountable, those things that once seemed so big I couldn't get past them, I would just never like you, never know you, never love you. Now they seem so small. Now they seem so tiny. And my realization of His love for you dwarfs them. See, then the world will know that there's something different about us. They will want to know what it's all about. And all we'll be able to do is point them to God. Because this is the beauty of this call to community. It starts off as a, as a way to just get along, a way to solve the problems in Corinth that we know all around the world of people bickering and going back and forth. And, and it starts off as a solution to that and quickly becomes a way to change the world. Because here's the thing. We're not called to just this community. The church is pretty unique in that it's the only community in the world that exists not just for those in the community, but also for those outside of it. That we're not just about taking care of ourselves here, about meeting our needs, but we're also outwardly focused to realize that there's a world out there that that needs hope and life. And primarily we bring that with the good news that Jesus died for your sins and he loves you more than you could ever know. And that's our main goal, that's our main thing, and it always will be. But it's also through doing good, through creating good, which can seem like a faraway idea because here in New Zealand, we don't live in a third world country. We don't have a war raging right on our, our doorstep, but it's, it's in loving those who are in strife. It's in loving those who need help. It's in, it's in accepting refugees. It's in giving aid. It's in showing Jesus' love. But it also looks like looking at the herd at home. Did you know that New Zealand is, is number one in the OECD for partner violence? and number three in the OECD for child abuse. And it's easy to explain that away. 
That's the, oh, it's, it's reporting, it's, it's the way that we look at it, we're over-representing, we're over-reporting, we're just more aware. It's, but there's a problem there. If we're not number one, we're in the top 10, and either way, it's bad. Right, and it's easy to look at that and to blame it on someone. Oh, it's the government's fault. It's, it's the opposition's fault. It's the corporation, it's the hippies. It's, it's that people aren't religious enough. It's that people are too religious to, to point a finger, but ultimately it's not anyone's fault and pointing the finger to me doesn't feel like agape. See, I, I work for the government and I've seen the people there. And I can assure you, there are people trying. There are people that have dedicated their entire lives to solving this problem. And they're making a difference. They are. Right? They're doing their best. No matter which way you lean, those people stayed in government during labor and national. They just kept on keeping their heads down and saying, how do we fix this? Right, they're trying, but the thing is, is that the government can't love all the amazing things it can do, the programs it can put in place, the money it can spend. The government can't love. The only organization in the world that can love with the type of love that we need to change things is the church. See, the only organization in the world that that can be so full so overflowing of God's agape, God's unconditional love, that we actually start to make a difference is the one you're standing and sitting in this morning. The only way we have a hope of changing Wellington for anything near the better is us. Because it's our love. It's our unconditional outpouring. See, only the church can have so much unconditional, astounding love pumped into it that we start to make a change. See, I don't have a game plan. There's no five-step process. But what I do know is that love, unconditional love, self-sacrificing, extreme love is the only place to start. See, what if we started to dream about the changes that love could bring? How do abuse rates in New Zealand fall? Maybe it starts with we love the abused. And then we love the abuser. And we break the cycle. That, That the abuser finds healing in Christ, that the abused finds healing in Christ, and something that was meant for despair, something that was meant for destruction, something that only should have been ashes, that only should have been darkness, is redeemed in the love of Christ, the only resource in the world that can bring change. See, see, what's going on here is I honestly believe this is God's plan. We are called to be a community, but it's not just for us. We are called to be a community that loves people outside the community so much that those that are not in the community are so glad that it exists. That people would point to the church and say, the church is changing the world. I'm not a member, I don't attend, but my favorite organization, my favorite thing in the world is not Air New Zealand's. It's not the thing that gives me happy drinks on the plane. It's the church because they love me because they love my sister, because they love my brother, because they love my auntie, and they brought change where no one else would, because they were the light in the darkness. See, so this week on your way somewhere, if it's on the train, if it's on the bus, if it's in your car, if it's on your way to, on, on your way to work, on your feet, whatever it is, just stop. Stop and remember that God loves you. So much so that it fills you. I don't know if you're a crier. I'm a crier. But let it be that moment where you push past the awkwardness of, I think I might cry on the train. You don't have to. But let yourself get to that place where you're so overwhelmed with the love of God. And just stop for a moment and and be mindful. God, you loved me so much when I couldn't do a thing to earn it. 
And God, it didn't matter that that I was rude this morning. It doesn't matter what I'm going to do during my day. It doesn't matter how many times I'm going to stuff up and make mistakes. You still look at me and you still smile. And God, it astounds me. And I'm so thankful and I'm so appreciative of your love for me. And as it fills you, maybe, just maybe, it'll start to leak out on the person next to you. Maybe, just maybe, that person at work who you've never been able to tolerate, you'll smile at tomorrow. Maybe, just maybe, that relative in your family who you haven't talked to for years, you'll pick up the phone and you'll give a call. Not because you can, because the agape of God starts to leak out of you. See, see, what I want us to do is we're going to sing the bridge of this song. And the lyrics go like this. Fill my life till all they see is you, Lord. Glorify your name. Fill my heart until all they see is you, God. Glorify your name. See, if you don't know what to pray, pray that. That you would be so filled with the love of God that when people look at you, all they can see is Him. That they see past your mistakes, past your failures, past your hurts, and they see that God's love is in you. We're not called to be perfect, but we're called to carry the perfect love of God. Come on, church, stand to your feet. We're going to sing this song. Thank you.